Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. This morning, as mentioned, we are closing out our series on prayer. I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, it's been really life-giving uh, hearing speakers, both internal, but also uh, speakers from abroad. And uh, especially last week's message uh, moved me deeply to uh, just a place of intercession for my own family. I hope it did the same for you as well. Uh, as I begin, I'd love to share with you just a funny story and an update in the life of my family. Uh, you know, my little girl said just turned one uh, in January, and uh, it's been just fun times because she's a whole bag of tricks these days. Uh, we get to do different tricks with her, uh, and she's been uh, learning to speak, and uh, it's really interesting the kind of words that she gravitates to uh, as a one-year-old. Uh, she hasn't said mommy yet, but daddy is definitely top of the list. Um, but the words that she... she, she She's able to you know, name different animals uh, in the books, and so she has a lot of zoo books, and so her favorite animal is lion. So she's like, lion, lion. And she's able to um, you know, make the sounds that certain animals make, and so when she sees a cow, she'll go moo moo. She's, she's a dog, she'll go whoa whoa. Uh, and you know, if she sees, she's a horse, uh, she would go nene, or sometimes it sounds like nene. Um, well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, she wa was a bit under the weather, and uh, Amy was at work, so I had to take her to the clinic uh, by myself. And uh, in this kind of pediatrician clinic, you know, there are a lot of uh, animals on the walls, or pictures of them. And so Sage was like, Sage, she's like, lion, and she's got lion, and cow, she was, and moo moo. And uh, she saw a picture of a dog, she went, whoa, whoa. And then at some point, she turned uh, and looked at the nurse uh, behind the counter. She looked at her, and she went, nene. And so the nurse, uh, in shock, went, Nene, not here. Nene, not here. She did this. And, and I looked at the nurse and I said, no, no, no. She, didn't mean, she doesn't mean that. She means horse. Uh, and then the nurse looked on the left and the right. She looked at me and she said, there's no horse here. <laughs> and so I looked at Sitch and I said, come on, man. Play it cool. Like, what was that about? Uh, and I wanted to leave the clinic uh, in a hurry. Uh, now, I, I shared that funny story. Uh, it's really funny to me. Uh, because it's somehow related to the talk I have for you this morning. It involves speech, language, uh, loss in interpretation, uh, and also someone possibly getting offended. Uh, this morning, I'm speaking to you on the subject of praying in tongues, spiritual language, praying uh, in the spirit. Now, uh, I speak to you this subject uh, this morning, not with the intent to confuse or to divide or to make you uncomfortable, but I speak to you this morning with a heart that, that you know, echoes what Paul says in Corinthians when he says this, I wish, I long, I desire for all of you to speak in tongues. Because tongues, you know, to me, in, in my own life, in my own walk with Jesus has been of such great life and blessing. And I long for you with the same kind of pastoral angst that you would all speak in tongues. Now, most of us, you know, if you, uh, well, well, for some of us, if you grew up in similar tradition that I did, you know, that of, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic, tongues is like a non-issue, right? You know, tongues is very much part of culture, part of our gatherings, part of your own prayer life, something that you exercise on the regular, and so this talk on tongues really, you know, is, is a non-issue, right? You're a tongue-praying machine, uh, whatever that means. 
Uh, and so, you know, this talk, you know, I really have three groups uh, in mind. Uh, first group of people that I love to speak to are people who have, you know, in the words of Paul, the gift of tongues. You have the gift of tongues, but you rarely, if ever, exercise it. Uh, the gift of tongues is something that you exercise maybe in a gathering like this when there's a moment, but it's not so much part of your prayer life, uh, part of your walk with Jesus. I'd love to speak to you so, uh, this morning. Second group of people I love to speak to are people who desire the gift of tongues. You read the words of scripture and you're compelled and moved and you want this gift. You see it, you know, you see people walking it on the right and the left and you want it, you earnestly desire for it, but you don't have it. You don't have the gift of tongues. I'd love to speak to you as well. The last group of people that I'm speaking to, to this morning are people who are kind of on the fence with tongues. You know, you're skeptical. Maybe you don't think that these gifts are for today or it just sounds like gibberish, senseless babbling, and you don't know what's the point. Is, there, is this even needed in the Christian life? Is this optional? I'd love to speak to you this morning as well. Now, I've come to realize that in Christendom, in God's kingdom, Whenever there's an aspect or trait of his kingdom that is under, you know, that, that brings about division, there's confusion, there's uncertainty, there's a lot of like, quote, warfare surrounding a particular topic. It's often the, a veiled attempt from the enemy to distract and distort the people of God. I've come to realize that that is often the case. You know, we think about money, we think about generosity, and there's so much confusion surrounding that. But we all know in the words of scripture that, that there's much life to be found in sacrificial living, in living with an open hand, in trusting God for resources, in trusting God with our resource. There's much life to be found there. But yet often this topic is like approached with so much caution because it brings about division and confusion. I think such is the case for this topic, praying in the tongues, praying the Spirit, and I can't help but wonder if there is tremendous life to be found in this practice. Two years ago, Pastor Daniel uh, preached a message, and the title you know, is really compelling. He calls it the lost practice of praying in tongues. It's very much a lost practice in churches today, maybe not in churches, but maybe the life of believers. I'm led to ask a few questions. Could it be that this gift that has stirred so much debate, division, and controversy, within it lies you know, the great, a great key for how we are to live, how the people got stand firm in these last days? Could it be that the devil has worked overtime, right, to distort us, to distract us, to bring us to this point of, of contention because he understands the power that it releases? And tragically, the people of God don't comprehend the same or don't have the same gravity attached to this gift that the devil has. And so you can probably tell there's a lot of work to do. Uh, as always, we'll read a couple of passages of scripture to begin, and then we'll go into a word of prayer. Are you with me, folks? Right? I said tongues, and then we're all like, oh, this talk. Uh. Right? But track along with me. I'll get you somewhere. Nicely. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. It says this in God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice here, the Spirit 
enabled them to speak in these other tongues. It's not a byproduct of imitation or placebo or like everyone doing it, they are copy. The Spirit enabled them to speak in these tongues. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, what's the sound? Sound of wind and people speaking in these, quote, other tongues. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Reading also 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Now, before I go on further, I would like to frame this exploration, the context of prayer. We all know this series on prayer, and prayer simply at its root is about attention, and it's about love and intimacy with the one whom we call Father. And so today, we aren't just talking about a manifestation of the Holy Spirit or a gift of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a means of grace, a pathway towards experiencing deeper intimacy, a deeper love with the one whom we call Father. And though we all want that. And so the question we're asking today is this, what will it look like to walk in a greater depth of intimacy and love with the Father. That is what we are after this day. Not just a manifestation or gift, but at the end of the day, what anchors it all, what fundamentally moves and drives us, is love. All right, and so with that, let's pray this morning. Jesus, in this act of prayer, we recognize whom we are praying to. The one who poured his spirit out on those in that upper room on that day. The one who pours his spirit out and enabled them to speak in these tongues, to move in power, to proclaim the gospel. That same spirit that fell in that upper room is here in this room and we recognize that, oh God. Lord, we recognize that this topic that we are exploring has much confusion, baggage and division within it. And Lord, I thank you, I thank you that truth does not lie in mere eloquence or depth of research or study, but we are led into truth by you, Holy Spirit. So Spirit, we yield to you even in this moment, and we say, come, lead us into all truth. Lord, may we put aside our baggage, our preconceived notions even in this moment, and trust in you, Spirit, to lead us and guide us. Lord, we yield to you even in this exploration, Come and have your way in this room, in our hearts, and in our lives. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I think first off, it's important for us to come to a baseline understanding of what these other tongues is, or what I'm talking about. I have some quotes up for you, uh, just to frame your mind around tongues. John Mark Comer says this, Tongues are a form of prayer and praise you express to God in a language you do not understand. N.T. Wright says this, uh, the gift of tongues, a uh, gift of speech which, though making sounds and using apparent or even actual languages, somehow bypasses the speaker's conscious mind. N.T. Wright is this towering intellectual and theologian. 
Another uh, definition of tongues, I, I got this from a book, uh, says this, it can be a known or unknown language. It can be used evangelistically. Tongues can be used to authenticate the addition of new people into God's church, used for edification, used to worship God by singing in tongues, to pray for others, to be thankful, to give inner assurance of communion with God and affirmation of personal presence of God in your life. This gift can bring you joy, allows you to cry out to God over others when words do not come. You can be deeply changed and moved by this gift. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that tongues is very much a part of this gathering, when we sing at certain points in our singing, you know, we would, as a community, as a body, sing in tongues. What Paul would describe as spiritual songs, we would sing in tongues to God. In moments of deep, intense prayer, as a community, we would intercede by praying in tongues, by speaking in tongues. Now, Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that verse we read at the start. Follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone, hear this, who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them, the utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, from this verse, we can pull a couple of, uh, three kind of understandings or inferences about what tongues are, or the characteristics and nature of tongues. First off, tongues involve speaking to God and to not each other. Hear the word of the Lord. Tongues are to God and not to each other, meaning we don't speak to each other in tongues. This act of tongues, praying the Spirit, is to God, right? Second thing is that it is mysterious. They utter mysteries, meaning that it lies outside of our comprehension, our understanding is transcendent in nature. We cannot fully wrap our minds around this act. It is mysterious. And the third inference is this, that tongues can, but don't need to be a known human language. Within the scope of 1 Corinthians 14, it says that tongues cannot be understood. In 1 Corinthians 13, it makes reference to the tongues of men and of angels. Paul would say that he speaks the tongues of men and of angels. And so with this text and with other passages of scripture, we draw uh, a few conclusions of what these tongues are, and there are a few variants of what tongues actually is in all the New Testament. First off is this. Tongues can be intelligible, meaning understandable, human languages that are unknown to the speaker that are used for the proclamation of the gospel. We see this in Acts chapter 2, right? They're filled in the upper room. They begin to speak intelligible human languages for the proclamation of the gospel. Right? And so these languages warrant translation. Hear me? The second kind of variant of tongues we see, uh, particularly in the writings of Paul, is a kind of unintelligible prayer language that is primarily for the edification of the speaker. He who speaks in the tongues edifies himself. And it's an unintelligible kind of angelic prayer language, meaning no one around you is blessed by that tongue speaking, only the person speaking in that tongue is blessed. Hear me? And so that tongue, right, is not a kind of human language, but what the Bible describes as an angelic language. And the third kind of variant of tongue is this. It's an unintelligible prayer that requires the gift of interpretation, and it's primarily for the building and edification of the church. Right? And so the first warrants translation, and now this one that we're talking about warrants interpretation. 
Now this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now I had in my mind to do a verse by verse exposition of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And just spoiler alert, there are 40 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And by the time I was done with the work, I realized that you'll be here till like maybe 3 p.m. at least. And so there are a lot of ground that I cannot cover and we'll look, we can put it into you know, a, a document that you can access. Pastor Janice will surely do so. Uh, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there's so much there. But I'd just like to make a simple point here. 1 Corinthians 14 starts off with this call, follow the way of love. And everything that follows this, follows what, Paul, what Paul's, uh, that follows that line is all about love, right? And so when we look at the admonitions of 1 Corinthians 14, like order, there's a proper way to do things. We have to think that, know that this is all anchored and rooted in this call to love. And of course, there are aspects there that are contextual, that are more cultural. Uh, there are certain implications as to uh, you know, some of the, the things that Paul says that perhaps we should consider as a community. One of the things I realized is that you know, perhaps because uh, there, there's a sizable portion of the church that has basically ignored 1 Corinthians 14 and say like, that, that is just pure cultural, we don't really need to take heed of this, that as a result, we are seeing a much diminished presence of the gift of interpretation, if you're, if you're following me. Paul then in, in that text would say that there's a way or there's a, a kind of um, way of expressing tongues in the corporate gathering that warrants for a kind of interpretation that is actually really powerful. In some sense, right, when tongues is spoken and there's an interpretation, it is tantamount to prophecy, a word from the Lord. And I've seen it once or twice in my life where uh, the preacher will go, does anybody have a tongue? And someone will come up, pray in tongues, and then he will go, does anyone have an interpretation? Someone comes up and gives an interpretation, and it's some of the most powerful meetings and gatherings I've ever been in. And I would like to make a case for that to be common in the church once again. And perhaps one of the ways we get there is by taking heed of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, but we won't get into that this morning. Now, some today would diminish tongues as this gibberish or senseless kind of babbling that is for the unintellectual, the uneducated, people who are naive. But it will do us good to know that Paul is this incredibly educated man. As a trained Pharisee, he would have somewhat of 20 years of university level, college level education. And yet Paul, being as intellectual and smart as he is, would say, I pray in tongues more than all of you combined. Second to Jesus, Paul is probably the most crucial and integral in the establishment of the church today. And Paul would see it fitting to not just pray in tongues on occasion, but to pray in tongues consistently. It was a regular fixture in his life. I pray in tongues more than all of you. Now, the gift of tongues, I'd like to put it to you, is not a distinctive of Pentecostal and Charismatic churches. The gift of tongues is a distinctive of the New Testament, of this new age that we enter into, of this new epoch, not just in the church, but in humanity, where the Spirit of God not just falls on one or two people, like a Gideon, uh, a Deborah, you know, a, a Moses, but the Spirit of God is now upon all flesh, and it marks this new age. The people of God now have the Spirit upon them, and it's marked by this gift of tongues. It's not just a Pentecostal distinctive. It is a distinctive of the New Testament church. With me, folks? Now, among the nine spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 
only two gifts are not represented in the Old Testament. And that are, that those gifts are the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, the first time we see the gift of tongues evidence or seen, it's in Acts chapter 2, that passage that we just read, that is described as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But in some sense, it is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. The church was birthed in that day. Corey Russell would say this about that day. On the morning of that feast day, a group of young fishermen, mostly still teenagers, stumbled out of the upper room looking drunk and babbling in other languages. Think about this. If you were God and could use anything as a vehicle to release your will, desires, and purposes into the world, how would you have birthed the church on that day of Pentecost? How would you have done it? What would you have placed your greatest resources of strength, wisdom, power, and wealth? And what spiritual gift would you have released to mark the beginning of the apostolic era? The truth is most of us would probably not have made the choice that God did. He birthed his church in tongues. And we read in that account that several things happened on that day. A violent wind rushed into that place. And what appeared to be tongues of fire descended upon each and every single person in that room. They were filled with the Holy Spirit as, uh, as detailed in scripture. And then it said that following that, they began to speak in these other tongues. And as they spoke in these other tongues, the foreigners and the strangers that were in the vicinity heard these tongues as languages in their own native, uh, where they, they kind of origin from. And you read the rest of Acts 2, Luke would detail like 15 geographical areas and their unique languages as languages heard in that moment. And it's in a way God gave the first Christians, this church, the divine ability to speak in languages that they formerly did not understand or did not have the ability to speak so that the gospel can be propagated to all the nations of the world. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. But beyond this phenomenal spiritual experience, this is phenomenal, folks. It's the day of the church. The church was born. Beyond this phenomenal spiritual experience, there was... In fact, a deeper grace and something more profound was happening in that moment. Now, in Genesis 11, we read that at one point, humanity had one language. They had one language, and it says in Genesis 11 that mankind, with that one language, had this desire, were motivated with this same motive to essentially build a name for themselves. And there was this desire was fewer, this uh, exploit of building a city with a tower that, reach, that reaches the heaven from earth. And there was this kind of impulse within men to build a name for themselves, to uh, default to this prideful instinct, like we in our ability can accomplish this. And it says that they were united in motive and by a common language, a common tongue. And God would declare in Genesis 11:6 that because they were so, nothing will be withheld from them. If you look into the actual wording of that word, it can be translated as nothing was impossible for them because they were united in motive and in language. And read on further in Genesis 11:8 that God scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel. Notice the word Babel, like when you say words that don't really make sense, what is the word for that? Babbling, babble. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. You might think I'm making it up, but I asked Lee Chen just now, and she said it's right. And so, I have faith in Chen. Uh, from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so, because they could not understand each other, they lost that unity, that bond, 
They couldn't rally around a common motive because they, had, they could not comprehend and understand each other. They lost the unity that was born out of a unity in language. Now, fast forward to Acts chapter 2. We see precisely the reverse happening on the day of Pentecost, where Babel God broke the unity of men and fractured their bond as an act of grace to preserve them from judgment. Now at Pentecost, this barrier of language was overcome, and God gave to them this unity of purpose, his commission, but also unity found in this spiritual language, the language of the spirit. I would like to say that what was said of Babel in a judgmental sense that nothing will be withheld from them is now true for the New Testament church because we are united in the commission, in the spirit's language, nothing can be withheld or shall be withheld from the church. Nothing's impossible. Now, this was not a one-off occurrence in the book of Acts. We see this in two other instances. Skip down a few pages to Acts chapter 10. And you're familiar with scripture. This is the fulcrum point of the gospel moving out of the boundaries of Israel, of Judaism, into the Greco-Roman world. This, the gospel moving out of uh, primarily to a Jewish audience, to a Gentile audience. How many of you are Jewish in this room? How many of you are Gentiles? Okay, the reason you are here is because of this story. Acts chapter 10 says this in 44. Uh, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Notice here, similar occurrence. Spirit fell upon men and they began speaking in tongues. Next special scripture in Acts 19. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they answered, interesting. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They missed the sermon series, the broadcast. They're like, who is this Holy Spirit guy? So Paul then asked, what baptism do you receive? And they said, John's baptism. So these people won't believe us. And then Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And get this, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Again, the Spirit of God comes upon flesh, upon men, and then they begin to speak in tongues. Just a cursory reading of the book of Acts alone will let us conclude that this is what happens when God's spirit touches men. They begin to speak in tongues. Jesus himself would say that speaking in tongues would distinguish, would mark his believers. In Mark 16, he says that these believers, my believers, my followers, they shall speak with new tongues. Now, this, folks, is beautiful. Because during that time, we have to understand contextually and culturally, there was so much animosity between these groups. The Jewish people were like, no, no, like, can the Gentiles be, even be included in God's church? Is the gospel even for them? We have to know that between the Jews and Samaritans, there was so much animosity. There's a whole host of historical reasons of why they hated each other. Jews were often referred to Samaritans as half-breeds, as dogs. There was a kind of animosity between these groups. And for obvious reasons, the Jews hated the Romans. They oppressed them for a number of years. And so Jewish people at one point were like, no, Jesus is our own thing. Like, let the rest of the world burn. But what happened? The spirit fell upon all flesh. 
as detailed in Acts 2, in Joel, falls upon all flesh, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, fell upon all flesh. And they begin to speak in tongues. And in some way, that was the sign of the Spirit's endorsement that these people have been grafted into my family, into my kingdom. That there's no longer this separation between Jew and Gentile. All are free and all are grafted into my kingdom. The sign of the Holy Spirit was that they begin to speak in tongues. So in Acts, we see that the gift of tongues, this sign was a sign of inclusion, a sign of acceptance. The gift of tongues was deeply significant for the followers of Jesus. In that day, it was a sign of the reversal of the judgment of Babel. It was a sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon an individual. It was a sign that someone had been grafted into the family of God. It was used to proclaim the gospel in Acts 2. It was used to praise God, Acts 10 and Acts 19. Beautiful? That is the rich inheritance that we have in this act of speaking in tongues. It's not just a prayer language, as beautiful as it is, but it's rich it's rich in meaning. It's a sign that we all have been grafted into God's kingdom. Now, while that is beautiful, let us take a pause in this moment to address something uh, that, uh, as a pastoral team, we believe that this is untruthful and it's potentially harmful to the body of Christ. It's a belief that some hold that we as a pastoral team have concluded that we do not hold to this belief. And that's the belief that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. A belief that some denominations hold is that tongues is the initial outward evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Initial meaning is the first. Outward meaning is the first expressed evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And implicit in that claim and that belief is that if you do not speak in tongues, you're simply not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there are 22 stories in the book of Acts of people encountering Jesus and coming into salvation. Three of the 22, they begin to speak in tongues, and the rest, they don't. Now, we can conclude from these stories that, yes, when people are filled with the Spirit, they do speak in tongues. It happens. But at least for some, it doesn't happen immediately. Now, at least anecdotally, we will know that there are men and women who are faithful in following Jesus, who have the fruit of the Spirit, who move in power, who love, who are kind, who embody the characteristic traits of Jesus, who do not speak in tongues. Billy Graham is such an example, right? A great man of God, used mightily by the Lord, who believed in the power of tongues, who believed in the, in the gifts that are for today, who believed that people could speak in tongues, but did not speak tongues in his lifetime. I'll venture to say that Billy Graham was filled with the Spirit. Many of them want to, but they don't have it. Now, I believe the simple evidence of God's word is this, that he never intended spiritual language to be a proof. Rather, he offers it as a provision for prayer, for praise, for flourishing. And we have often reduced this beautiful gift as a kind of evidence, as a marker of spiritual maturity, but that was not what God intended for it to be. We reduce it to evidence, but in it has so much life, blessing, flourishing. It's provision. With me, folks. The teaching, this teaching, I, I, I love to emphasize this, has broken so many people. It's broken their sense of confidence in their salvation. Many have believed that, or bought into the belief that they are somehow second-class Christians because they don't have the gift of tongues. 
But the New Testament doesn't make that kind of distinction. And some, in, in trying to kind of fit in or trying to have that gift, what at times fake having tongues. It's a very real thing. You know, I, I say that it's not as a joke because this is a real thing that happens in churches. I've heard it said on one or two occasions. Someone will go, I want the gift of tongues. And someone will go, hey, you should say like, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. And you say it five times fast. And some people will believe that you have the gift of tongues. It's a joke. We laugh. But sometimes people are, they are motivated by external pressures as opposed to an internal longing for the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's just simply not right. Jesus didn't say by this all men would know if you pray in tongues. His standard was far higher and costlier. It was love. And yet, folks, at the same time, we're admonished by Scripture to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That word eagerly desire would translate to jealous, to long, to seek, or to covet, to be greedy for. Is this intense longing that fuels intense seeking. And the word spiritual gifts, it's, it's in reference to 1 Corinthians 12, this list of gifts, the message of wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. And the word spiritual gifts is actually just one word, pneumatikos, which if you actually translate it, the word gifts isn't even in there. It's pneumatikos, and Gordon Feeder's towering intellectual word would uh, translate pneumatikos simply as spirituals, or I love this, stuff the spirit does. It's when the spirit comes into a room upon a people, these are the things that happen. And the fallacy is that many times we approach spiritual gifts as like, oh man, you know, like, what am I? Like, like it's that anagram thing, like, what am I, you know? Like, am I miracles guy or am I administration? Like, these people, like, pray for people and they fall, I just work on Excel. Like, what am I? And so, like, we approach spiritual gifts with like, come on, miracles, come on, miracles. But no, that is not what God has intended for all of us. It's not that we fall into one category, but we live a life with such openness that goes, Spirit, do as you will. All of this is available for me. We can all speak in tongues. That's so why Paul would say, I long for all of y'all, all of y'all, the Texan version, to speak in tongues. Because of why it's extremely powerful and beautiful. Here are a few reasons and Verses that I'm sure all of you are familiar with. I would love to just share some stories to accompany these verses. First off, we pray in tongues for strengthening. Jude 1.20 says, Beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. We live in a day that, in a generation, in a time in the church where there's much value attributed towards fitness, health, and wellness, you know, the other day I was reading Leviticus, it says like, all fat belong to the Lord. And I was like, I thank God that I belong to you more than anyone else. And then God spoke to me and said, exercise, get off your couch and go and exercise. And there's so much kind of like love and, and so much emphasis on fitness, on wellness. And so we have really physically fit Christians, but spiritually they are susceptible and, and, and are, are under the onslaught of the enemy. And God has given us the gift of tongues to strengthen us in weakness, temptation, fear, anxiety, and the like. Now, Jackie Pullinger, this missionary evangelist who had been ministering in Hong Kong since the 60s, come on, 
In the early days of her ministry, it says that she worked with gang members, prostitutes, and drug addicts who lived in the portion of Hong Kong known as the Walled City. Now, in her book, Chasing the Dragon, she shares many stories of addicts who were miraculously delivered through praying in the spirit. One particular testimony note of this addict who had a $100 a day habit for some 10 years, 10 years, who withdrew painlessly from that addiction in less than a week. Jackie Berenger would say this in the book, that if he experienced any twinge of pain, he would pray in tongues and the pain would miraculously disappear. 10 years of addiction broken through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she says that that story went viral. She says in the book that word quickly spread along the addict grapevine that if they were willing to believe in Jesus, they would receive some kind of power that enabled them to kick drugs painlessly. As each boy arrived, the miracle was repeated. He came to Christ and came off drugs painlessly when he prayed in the language of the Spirit. Edification, folks. Strengthening. The next reason we pray in tongues is for intercession. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, something I've established as a keystone practice in my life is this. Whenever I get up in the middle of the night, earlier than I should, you know, often, you know, I can attribute it to one of two reasons. It's either I had bad pizza or the Spirit is calling me to pray. And on days where I don't eat pizza, I immediately know the Spirit's calling me to pray. And I've seen it you know, happen so many times in my life. You know, I'll wake up at four in the morning and be like, why am I up? Why am I up? Why am I feeling you know, this energy within me? And I know that, okay, God is calling me to pray for something. And I don't know what the something is. I don't know what the prayer point is. I don't know where to aim my prayer towards. All I can do in that moment is pray in tongues. And I thank God I have the gift of tongues in a moment like that. And it's so uncanny because I'll do so at a time and I'll wake up in the morning to a piece of news, whether you know, something personal or global, and I would know with all my heart that that was what I was praying toward at that moment. Now, a story that happened uh, some years ago was when I was in ministry school. Uh, and in my last year, you know, I was assigned a group of students to essentially care for and disciple. Now, I was woken up in the middle of the night at six in the morning. Now, six in the morning is my usual wake-up time now because I'm a one-year-old. But when I was a student, like, wake-up time was like 10 a.m. So 6 a.m. to me was like this unearthly, ungodly hour. Like, why am I up in the, at 6 a.m.? So I woke up at 6 a.m. and I was like, why am I up? And so I decided to pray in the Spirit. And so I prayed in the Spirit. And then I went back to sleep after five minutes. And five minutes after I went back to sleep, I had a call from my student. He said, Andre, I just got into a car accident. Can you please come to the hospital now? And so I went down to the hospital and he shared that he was riding his bike and he got T-boned by a car. And he got T-boned in a car and the car hit the bike in such a precise spot that it missed his leg and the bike did not go under the car. It spun away from the car, it's essentially preserved. All he had was a few cuts, a few bruises. And I know there and then, and you might chalk it off to coincidence, I don't think so. I knew there and then that I was praying into this and that is what's possible when you join with the Spirit to pray in the Spirit, to pray in His will. That is what the gift of tongues offers us. Next reason is this, is for praise. Ephesians 5 says this, that we are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We are admonished here to speak and praise in three ways. Psalms is this historical Hebrew book of praise. Hymns can be translated as sacred songs, 
or songs of praise and thanksgiving that are written. And now the word spiritual songs is really interesting. It comes from one word, it essentially means songs of the spirit. Now we are all familiar with this hymn that Charles Wesley wrote called Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. And this, well, he drew inspiration from his mentor, this German Moravian missionary who said, oh, if I had 1,000 tongues to sing, I would praise God. And in that cry, it kind of captured this soul longing of praising God in such a way that transcends the limitations of human language. I wonder how many of you have experienced that in your life, coming to church in the midst of worship. You're like, God, I want to give to you so much gratitude, so much joy, so much praise. And you look at the words on screen and you go, that doesn't cut it. That doesn't capture the full kind of angst I feel within all the fullness of the gratitude that I feel bubbling up. In tongues, we get to do that. In some way, tongues, we get to enter that oh for a thousand tongues sing. The last reason we pray in the spirit, and I'm running a bit out of time. I'm running way out of time. <laughs> it's for communion. It's for communion. Coming to a quote from N.T. Wright, he says this, tongues is experienced as a stream of praise, which though the speaker may not be able to articulate what precisely is being said, says a love for God of adoration and gratitude, wells up and overflows. It is like a private language of love. Isn't that beautiful? Can we sense the depth of intimacy that's possible through praying in the spirit? It's a tongue that only God comprehends. No one else comprehends. My right, my left. God meets me there. Now, in closing, some of you here, you know, fall within the second group that I mentioned. You read the words of scripture and you know it's possible. You want tongues. You see it expressed in the gathering like this. And you go, I want this, but I don't know where to start and I don't know how do I get it. And you know, I've, I've asked many people throughout the week, like how did you receive the gift of tongues? Trying to come up with some kind of formula in order to do so. But I don't have a formula for you. For many, it starts off with a longing, a longing in their hearts as they read the words of scripture, an earnest desire that I believe is stoked by the Holy Spirit, a want, a desire for it. It starts off with longing. And then it fuels a kind of seeking to, in the words of Paul, eagerly desire. And this might look like receiving prayer on the front, which we'll have available for you at the end of service. It might look like tearing before God. For some, it happens in a service. For others like me, it happens at home. I was in my room alone when it happened, seeking. Next is to come into receiving, to be open to what the Spirit wants to do. It's to be okay with the Spirit doing stuff that transcends our mind. It's okay, Spirit. I may not understand, but I'm open to all that you want to do. Now, there's this video that I was going to pull up as a kind of like, encouragement for you if you are in that category. And it's this video of Francis Chan in, in IHOP as he professes, I don't speak in tongues, folks. I want it. I want it. But even though I don't, I, I, I feel this kind of affinity with you as brothers and sisters that I belong with you in this family. And I kind of put up that video. I wanted to, was going to show it. And at the same time, there was a suggested video that came up. And it was this interview that Francis did uh, with this radio talk show host. And he was just sharing the story. Uh, last year, he was on a call with this theologian who has written extensively on tongues. And while on the call, he said, I received the gift of tongues. 
So Francis now speaks in tongues. And that same interview, uh, interviewer interviewed Max Lucado, this prolific author that we are all familiar with. Max Lucado shared two years ago, at the age of 64, he was woken up in the morning, praying and asking the Holy Spirit, how can I have more of you? And as he prayed that prayer, he began to speak in tongues at the age of 64. Openness to the Spirit. Do as you will, God. I receive. Last thing we are called to do is to practice. To practice. Paul would say to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Which says to me that the gift can start off as this bright fire, raging fire, and if we fail to fan it, it will be reduced something small and easily snuffable. Fan into flame the gift of God. We have to put it into practice, folks. And so I want to close off with a final thought. If that is you and you're longing for this spiritual gift, that of tongues, remember, folks, it is a gift. It is a gift from God. It's a gift not to harm. It's a gift not to confuse. It's a gift not to embarrass. But God our Father is the one who gives us good gifts. And remember, folks, that the gift is not a byproduct of earning or performing. The gift comes from God as an act of His sovereign grace. And so all you're called to to do today is with open hands says, God, I'm open to all that you want to give to me. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Can we stand? No, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that uh, has a line that says, tongues will cease. Uh, we, where there's no law, it shall pass away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And that is often, you know, the, the anchor verse for a position, theological position known as cessationism, that the gifts of the Spirit, that of tongues, is not for our world, for our time today. But Paul will go on to clarify in verse 10 where he says, but when the perfect comes, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And that perfect completeness that he talks about, he will clarify in verse 12, happens when we see Jesus face to face. And I want to say that the gift of tongues, the gifts of the Spirit are very much needed and appropriate for our present age because that which is perfect and complete has not come. But there's coming a day when we see Jesus face to face where all of these is no longer necessary because we are with him for all eternity. But he also says to me this, that there is a limited window of opportunity for the people of God. There is coming a day where we no longer need to pray in tongues as a means of communion with Jesus because we are with him face to face. But God gives us now this means of grace, this pathway, why? Because tongues is a mystery. It's a mystery. It goes beyond our human understanding and comprehension. And in many ways, it tutors our hearts and minds to go, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this, but I trust. I depend and I surrender. And God, I invite you to have your way with my body, with my mouth, even in my lack of comprehension. And that's the beautiful gift that we are given today. Yes, it's a prayer language. Yes, it's something that we can exercise. But it's so much deeper than that. God does something in our bodies. He edifies us. He does something in our hearts as we lean on Him in lack of understanding. And so in closing, as the, the band will go back to lead us, I'd love to pray for you. If you do not speak in 
tongues and you want this gift, I'd love to pray for you this day and trust the words of Scripture that when the Spirit of God comes upon men, they will begin to speak in other tongues. We'll have the prayer team available at the end of service to tarry with you longer, to pray and stand with you. So let us all look to God in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your words, oh God. Thank you for your Spirit's work in our lives. And God, as a people, we want to say we are open to all that you want to do. The stuff that the Spirit does, we are open to it all. Cause our hearts to be open and receptive, God, to your work. And Lord, I pray right now for ones who want this gift of tongues, who want to speak in these other tongues as a means of communion with you. In Jesus' name now, Spirit of God, fall upon these ones. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Cause the rivers of the living God to fill their bellies. Let it bubble forth like a spring. Fill their mouth with your words, oh God, with this angelic tongue and language. We receive you, Holy Spirit. Fall upon us, oh God. As you did in the upper room, as you did in Acts 10, Acts 19, we say, God, come upon your people now. Give us the gift of the Spirit. Give us the gift of tongues. All across this room, we are speaking to sing the Spirit if you are able to. Raise to Him psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus.